This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. I'm going to start with a confession. It's time that I come clean with you all about something. I'm really bringing the mood down in a hurry, aren't I? I started running again five weeks ago. And if you guys have been around for a while, you know that it, I've started running like 8,000 times in the last six years. But uh, the reason for running was I came back from vacation a couple weeks ago feeling a little husky, <laughs> big-boned, um, chipmunk cheeks staring me back in the mirror. And so I laced up my running shoes and I started pounding the pavement. And by pounding the pavement, what I really mean is I don't run on the sidewalk. I want on the as softer asphalt streets. And uh, it's better for your knees, they say. And, uh, you know, it didn't take but a couple of days in for that desire to run another half marathon to return. But there were barriers in the way. There were obstacles to overcome. And so, for one, the race that I wanted to run, it, it's along the Des Plaines River Trail. It's really cool. It's uh, where I ran my first half three years ago. Uh, it was booked. And, but my desire to run was strong enough. I, I found another one. So I'm going to run a race that same weekend in October just along the lakefront instead. Uh, and then I had another obstacle on Monday. So uh, I kind of wondered if maybe I could do a full marathon, not a half, in just nine weeks. And so um, I asked a couple of you that are wiser than me in the ways of running if I should do this. And you know how um, both Brian and Steve responded when I asked them? That's exactly how they both responded. They laughed at me. So do you know what I did? Monday's my long run day. Do you know how I started my long run day? I'm going to prove Brian and Steve wrong. I'm running 20 today. Mind you, after only four weeks of my nine-week couch to whatever marathon program, I didn't make 20, but I made 14. Well, my body was not too happy with me. It wasn't happy with me on Tuesday. It wasn't happy with me on Wednesday, and then it just went kind of passive-aggressive with me on Thursday and forgave me, and I got back out there. But what I want us to see this morning as we continue this series, Following Jesus, inspired by Henry Nouwen's book, uh, Following Jesus, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety, is that the same is true of following Jesus. I, we are following Jesus for a reason, and we are headed towards a desired destination. There's desires that we want Jesus to meet. But what we all know to be true is that there are barriers along the way. There are obstacles to overcome. And so we began this journey last week with an invitation from Jesus, an invitation to come and to see and to experience his presence. And this morning, Jesus, he's going to call out to us saying, follow me. A call that reveals three things. It's going to reveal to us our barriers for following Jesus, our desires for following Jesus, and ultimately the reason we follow Jesus. But before we begin, I want to invite you to join me in prayer as we did last week in praying this prayer that, that Henry Nouwen closes his opening chapter with. Bow your head. You don't need to bow your heads because then you can't read it. Let's just pray like the early church did. Eyes, heads up, eyes open, full hearts, full eyes can't lose, something like that. It went south real fast, guys. I think we should pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us in this moment to set aside all that has preoccupied us today. Take away the many fears that rage around us. 
Take away the many feelings of insecurity and low self-esteem and let us be shaped by you. Help us to enter more deeply into your silence where we can listen to you and hear how you call us and find the strength and courage to follow Jesus. We ask you to be with us as we listen to your word and come to a deeper understanding of your mystery of calling us to follow Jesus. Be with us now and always. Amen. Amen. So, again, three things we're going to see here this morning. The first is this. It's that the call to follow Jesus reveals our barriers to following Jesus, right? We, as we begin to follow, then we finally begin to see these obstacles that we need to overcome. And so the Apostle John, he begins in verse 43 saying the next day, meaning the next day after Jesus invited Andrew and John to come and see uh, the the day we looked at last week, uh, Jesus, he decided to leave Judea uh, along the Jordan River and, and head north to the region of Galilee. He was making his way to Cana uh, for a wedding that he was going to go to, a story that we read about in John 2 at the end of this series of of seven days. But notice that rather than going alone, rather than journeying alone, it says that he found Philip. He found Philip, and he went up to him, and he he called him, and he said to him, follow me. Come, Come along with me on this journey. And what's interesting, just like what we saw last week, is that Unlike a typical first century rabbi, a Jewish rabbi disciple relationship that would have been initiated by the disciple, Jesus found Philip, didn't he? Jesus initiates the relationship. Jesus extended the call. But notice he doesn't give any indication of where they're going or what they're going to be doing. He doesn't tell them where they're going to be staying or when they're going to be returning. There, there's no itinerary included with the invitation. And it reminds me, it sounds a lot like God's call to Abraham back in Genesis 12 when he, when he called Abraham to, to pack up everything he had and to leave his home and all that he had ever known. And it says, go to a land that I will show you. I will show you, but not yet. For now, you just need to trust me and follow me. And that's what responding to the call of Jesus to follow me looks like. It is a step of faith. And oftentimes we know far more about what it is that we're leaving behind than what it is that we're headed toward. Because see, what matters more than the what or the when or the where or the how is the who. Who we're following, who we're spending our time with. Because Discipleship is all about relationship, isn't it? It's all about relationship. It is highly relational, requiring time together, time with with Jesus. And hear me, more than a few minutes on Sunday morning occasionally. And our our spiritual growth, like we measure that in in, in decades, not in days, don't we? Because it requires time with Jesus, but it also requires time with each other. It requires time with others. And so if you want to kind of get a feel for Jesus' approach to discipleship, it's about doing the things he was normally going to do, but doing them together, right? I'm going to take a trip. Why don't you come with me? I'm taking that trip anyway. It's about doing the things we would normally do, but doing them together. Does this phrase sound familiar? Does that sound a little bit like our phrase for meetups? Like that wasn't 
coincidental because even with meetups, it's about spending time together. It is about building relationships in which we can follow Jesus together. And that's true of our relationship with others and parents. That is especially true of our relationship with our kids, isn't it? I, um, you know this already, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I grew up on a farm in Iowa. And you're like, yeah, you told us that like every other week for the past six years. But uh, did I tell you I grew up on a farm in Iowa? Just making sure you caught that part. Now, so I spent a lot of time with my dad on the farm, a lot of time. We spent time riding tractors. We spent time baling hay. We spent time splitting wood for the furnace. And yes, my life looked a lot like Little House on the Prairie just in another century. And what I loved is what dad would do is he was always refer to those, that time together as our quote-unquote quality time. And so whenever dad would come up to me like, hey, you want to go spend some quality time together today? What I knew was it was going to involve a lot of sweat and probably a lot of stink. And I loved every blessed second of it. It didn't matter what we were doing. The greatest impact we can have on our children's faith as, as parents, as aunts, as uncles, as if we look at our family ministry definition, it's our entire church family ministering to and caring for the families of our church. So I'm talking to all of us here, not just parents. The greatest impact we can have on our children's faith is our time and our presence. Our physical presence, our attentiveness, inviting them to join you, to, to come and see, calling them to follow you as you follow Jesus. And hear me say, they're going to be excited. And if you don't believe me, I want you to watch one of those weeks where Becca has like a whole gang of like 400 kids in the back row where she's asked them to come and see and worship with her. Man, those kids are having a party back there. It's loud. They're the ones making all the noise, and it's great. Our kids are going to be excited. Philip was. Philip, it says, he was so excited that he, he ran and he found Nathaniel. And it says in verse 45, he says, so it says, we found him. We found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He was excited, and when we're excited about something, what do we do? We, we go, and we share, and we tell everybody. You're like, I've never met you before, but i got a really awesome story to tell you. And uh, if you've been around me much for the past six years, I'm excited about everything. And if you've been around me the last week, I've been really excited about a couple of things. I'm excited about some of the lobby work that we're doing, um, like working on there. Do you all notice the new wallpaper wall? Yeah, I did not do that. We had someone who specializes in wallpaper do it, and he and his son, they did it together. Um, they did it in like 30 minutes. It was great. But I'm also excited about a parking lot. Have you ever been excited about a parking lot repair job before? You have? Okay, well then, Tears and I, we've been excited about a parking lot repair job. The rest of y'all, I'm going to tell you about it. So here's the deal. We, the parking lot needs some TLC. Hmm? Um, there were a couple of uh, potholes that you could lose a small child in. And we love our children. So as part of family ministry, we are working on the parking lot. No. So we got a bid to just redo the whole thing. What would that cost? I don't, what do you think it costs to, to grind the entire parking lot down and redo it? What do you think it would cost? You know the five what? Dollars? 
Just five. It's going to cost five. There's a five in. It was over a quarter of a million dollars. Woo! All God's people said. So we're like, that's a bit much. So Dan, being the wise elder among us, he uh, started asking around and uh, had another idea, and he got a new bid. And what this company said was, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come and we're going to fix the worst parts. We're going to patch the other spots. We're going to seal coat it. We're going to paint it. And then what we think is like every couple of years, they'll come back and they'll fix the new three worst parts. Kind of like we're on our own payment plan, so to speak, only without any interest. And uh, that still cost $85,000. And so we went home that night with some like serious sticker shock. We came in the next day, and we started talking about it, and uh, we're like, we know we need to do something, because if we don't do anything, it's just going to get worse, and if it gets worse, it gets more expensive, so we need to do something, and we also knew, like, we had that money in savings. It wasn't like we were going to have to go get a loan to do the project. That's just not the way we do things, and so we kept talking, and by the end of the day, what we had come to agreement on is that we felt that this was the option that was the best way forward uh, to steward both uh, the gift of this, this building and this property that God has blessed us with, and also the best way to steward the finances that God has blessed us with. So we prayed, and we went home feeling at peace about spending that money that God had given us on the parking lot that he had given us. And the next morning, I kid you not, I'm on the back patio at home, and I'm reading a book by Eugene Peterson, and my phone rings, and, and um, typically I wouldn't answer it then. I wouldn't have even had my phone out there with me, but I answered it, seeing who it was calling, and uh, it was someone just calling to let me know, uh, hey, something really incredible has happened in my life, and um, I'm sending a check this weekend, and he told me the amount and I just chuckled because it more than covered what we needed to do our parking lot repair. But what was even better, do you know when that call came? It didn't come before, it came after. It was only after we took that step of faith that God revealed what he had in store for us the entire time. That's how he does things a lot of times, isn't it? You take the step of faith first to follow me, and then I'm going to show you what I got in store for you. And as I realized, like, I really brought that down. I thought I was going to tell it way more exciting. I didn't expect that. But Philip, man, Philip was something, he was excited about something way better than wallpaper and parking lot repair. Philip was excited about who he found, or better yet, who found him. And who found him was Jesus of, of Nazareth, of the son of Joseph. And what he knew to be true is that Jesus, Jesus was the prophet that God had promised Moses all the way back in Deuteronomy 18, a prophet that he would raise up among his people, that he would speak on behalf of God as God. But not just that, he was, he was the king from the line of David that God promised through Nathan in 2 Samuel 7. He is the suffering servant that God promised through Isaiah. He is the son of man that God promised through Daniel. Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture and the fulfillment of promise. Amen? 
Jesus is the one to whom the entire Old Testament scriptures point us to. He is the one in whom every promise ever made by God finds their yes. And just as the Jesus Storybook Bible says, every story whispers his name. That's who invited Philip to go to a wedding with him. Philip was excited. Nathaniel was not so excited. He was skeptical. And he says to him, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, mind you, Nathaniel, he's, he's from Galilee. He's from the city of Cana. We, we read about that in John 21, which is only about 10 miles from Nazareth. So like uh, Nazareth and Cana, they're probably like conference rivals growing up, kind of like, like tonight, Green Bay, Chicago, conference rivals, you know? So maybe they're like this, and we're like, can anything good come out of Green Bay? Yeah. And all God's Green Bay fans said, yes, it can. Good, there weren't a lot of Green Bay fans this morning. But here's the thing, he knew, he knew Nazareth was nothing more than a hole-in-the-wall village. They probably didn't even have a stoplight that time. They do now, but not then. He knew that this village was so insignificant, it wasn't even in the middle of nowhere because it wasn't even on the map. Nazareth at this time, it reminds me of the way you guys probably feel about Iowa, right? My beloved home state, where at least people agree two good things come out of Iowa. Do you know what they are? No, Interstate 80 and Interstate 35. That's how he felt about Nazareth. How could anything good come out of there? How could anyone of any significance come out of there? Because prophets and kings, they came from Jerusalem. But look how Philip responds. He doesn't respond with critique. He doesn't respond with condemnation. He, he responds with compassion. He says, come and see. He, he extends the same invitation Jesus gave to Andrew and John the day before. He didn't make him feel ashamed for having doubts. He didn't make him feel guilty for asking questions. He, he didn't make him feel defensive for being skeptical. He, he didn't say, go and see for yourself. Find your own way. Figure it out on your own. No, he said, come and see. And there's some honesty and vulnerability here where it's as if he said, I, I, I don't have all the answers to your questions. I, I can't explain it all. I can't put it all into words. So all I can do is invite you to, to, to come with me and to see for yourself, experience Jesus for yourself, encounter his presence. But, but here's the thing. Let's go together. Let's, let's do this together. I'll be with you every step of the way. You don't have to do this alone. And isn't that how we point people to Jesus? By loving them like Jesus? Helping them overcome those obstacles that might stand in their way of knowing him, of, of clearing those hurdles that might keep them from hearing his words? of navigating those barriers that might keep them from faithfully following his way, patient and compassionate with them? Which, if we're honest, I think is about the exact opposite of the church's strategy today anymore, isn't it? Where it seems as though we're doing better at pushing people away from Jesus than pointing them to Jesus. But if we're honest, I think, um, I think we all have barriers to faithfully following the way of Jesus, don't we? We have barriers that hold us back in some way to that intimacy that we all desire. We all have 
We all have, and I don't use all and everyone frequently, but we all have doubts. We all have questions. We're all a bit skeptical about certain things to some degree at certain times. That's okay. So what I want to ask, what I want you to ask yourself right now in this moment is this. What are those barriers for you? What are those barriers that prevent you from leaving everything behind and faithfully following the way of Jesus with every step of every day? Because see, we're willing to leave some things behind, but not everything. We're willing to follow occasionally when it's convenient when Jesus is headed in the same direction we were already going, but not always. Like, why do you think that is? Why is it that we sometimes even create our own barriers? I think two things. I think it's a combination of fear and pride. You see, when we're driven by fear, we're, we're afraid to give up what we have. We're operating out of a, out of a scarcity mindset, afraid that we're, we're not going to have enough of those things that we value most, enough time, enough money, enough relationships, enough social status. And we become suspicious of anyone and everyone who might take what we deem to be rightfully ours, viewing them as an enemy. And that fear, what it reveals is that we even view God as an enemy at times. As someone who might take from you rather than a, a generous giver who has blessed you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work and bringing him glory, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9. But we're not just driven by fear, we're also driven by pride. Thinking, I know a better way. I'll find my own way never fully relinquishing control to God, never fully surrendering your life to Christ, instead negotiating your own terms of following, retaining this illusion of control. Because as Henry Nouwen writes, we don't have control over our future when we let Jesus enter into the center of our being. That's scary, isn't it? Despite what Carrie Underwood says, there's times we don't want Jesus to take the wheel, is there? I got it, I'm good. But our pride, what it reveals, it reveals we don't fully trust God. Not fully. We don't trust that he sees us in everything that we're going through. We don't trust that he knows who we really are. We don't trust that he loves us because of who we are. We don't believe that he wants what's best for us. Not trusting that for those who love God, all things work together for good, Paul says in Romans 8. And so I want to ask again, before we move on, what are those barriers preventing you from following Jesus every step of every day? Because as your pastor, as your pastors, like, we would love to come alongside in whatever way we can to help you see these obstacles, to help you overcome them, and most importantly, to help you follow Jesus. That's our job description right there. That's the first thing we see. But the second thing we see here is that the call to follow Jesus, it also reveals our desires for following Jesus. It, it reveals those deepest desires that we might not yet even know. So he says in verse 47, it says, uh, Jesus, he saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. 
Now, Jesus here, uh, he's, he's contrasting him with Jacob from the Old Testament, who, if we flip back in Genesis 25, he deceived his slightly older twin brother Esau into selling him his birthright for a cup of soup. Must have been some good soup. And then in Genesis 27, he deceived his father Isaac into giving him his older uh, brother's blessing by tricking his father into thinking that he was the older, hairier brother Esau. And if you're over wondering, since we don't have pictures in the Bible, what did, um, what did uh, Jacob's hands look like as he imitated Esau? They looked like this, teen wolf in the flesh, 40-year-old wolf in the flesh. But what I love is that Nathaniel, he was skeptical, right? He had his doubts, but also in there was this curiosity that drew him to Jesus. And he asked Jesus, how do you know me? Kind of like when somebody meets you for the first time and you're like, how, how do you know me? The answer is they were stalking you on Facebook. That's not what happened here. But he's like, how do you know me? How, not just know about me, not just know my name and my culture, not just know things about me, my work history, my friends, and where we went on vacation, because I posted all of that for everyone to see. But how do you intimately know me? How do you personally know me, the real me inside when we've never met? And Jesus answered him saying, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, this is where we can get in trouble when we literally read every word of the Bible because not every word was meant to be read literally. Jesus, he did, he's not saying that he literally saw him off in the distance sitting under a fig tree as he was walking by earlier in the day. No, what he's using here is, is a figure of speech that was common in the time, one packed with meaning in first century Jewish culture that is easy for us to miss, but it's too important for us to miss. So New Testament scholar Brian Petrie, he writes in his book, uh, Introduction to the Spiritual Life, Walking the Path of Prayer with Jesus. He says, in Jewish scripture and tradition, the image of, of sitting beneath a fig tree was associated with two things. It was associated both with the coming of the Messiah. We see that in Micah 4 and in Zechariah 3. And with the practice of meditation on scripture, most often in or around or near your home. This, this wasn't a physical sighting. This was a divine supernatural sighting. As, as Jesus, the, the eternal divine son of God, he saw him. He saw him in quiet, reflective, prayerful meditation on scripture, on the words of the prophets that he had heard since he was a boy, that he treasured in his heart, that he committed to memory of God's promise of, of, of coming Messiah. Jesus saw him even before Philip found him earlier in that day. But not only did he see him, he knew him. He knew him intimately. He knew him personally, having, having known him even before he was born as the one in and through all things are created. He saw him, he knew him, and he loved him. Love, after all, was the very reason Jesus came, wasn't it? The very reason Jesus came and lived and died. And having encountered Jesus, receiving his love, being known by him and seen by him, he responds with his beautiful confession in verse 49 saying, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. But again, order of events here. 
his encounter with the inspired words of Scripture that morning prepared him for an encounter with the incarnate Word of God's Son that afternoon. He spent time with God in his Word, and he spent time with God in his Son. And he responded declaring the humanity of Christ as rabbi, that he is wise to be respected, listening to his words of his humanity, but also of his divinity as the son of God, that he is holy to be worshiped, giving him glory, and of his royalty as the king of Israel from the line of David as the son of Joseph, that he is powerful to be revered, living under his rule. Jesus here, he not only revealed his deepest desires, he met those desires. And that's what the call to follow Jesus does. It reveals that we have those same basic desires, a desire to be seen by God, to just have our existence acknowledged, our humanity recognized, not as as some lesser class of being, but as a bearer of God's image, as his beloved. And hear me, while the world may not see that in you, they may not see that in everyone. The world is, and us at times too, we are distracted by age. We are distracted by gender of others. We are distracted by the beliefs of others, the physical affiliation of others, the sexuality of others, and the sinful past of others. But here's what we know to be true. God sees his image in each and every one of his creation. Amen? Everyone, including you, including that person that we might not see the Imago Dei in, God sees it in. Everyone, no asterisk, no footnote. We desire to be seen by God. We desire to be known by God, both the things that are known by others and those things that are hidden from others. We, we desire God to know the real self that often hides behind a mask and wears a costume. We desire God to know our fears and our dreams and what it is that keeps us up at night. We desire for God to know what we've done and what's been done to us. And the good news of the gospel is that in spite of all of that, we desire to be loved by God and we are loved by God. We are loved by God, knowing, as Parker Palmer writes, there is a love that does not condemn us but calls us to itself. This love receives us as we are. But what we also know to be true is this love does not leave us as we are, does he? Because Jesus does not leave you the way he found you. And so what I hope you take away this morning from God's word is this, is that your desire to be seen and known and loved will only ever be fully and truly met when you answer that call to follow Jesus, laying down your life and surrendering your life to Christ as king. The third thing we see here is that the call to follow Jesus reveals the reason for following Jesus. It reveals to us the why. He says in verse 50, Jesus answered him and he says, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? He's like, you will see greater things than these, right? He's like, he's uh, quoting Bachman Turner Overdrive. You ain't seen nothing yet. Bum, bum. No, 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 Nathaniel, you just ain't, Sorry. Not sorry, it's fine. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
Once again, Jesus here, he's referring to the life of Jacob, a story in Genesis 28 as Jacob, he, he slept one night and he, and he dreamt of a giant stairway to heaven. He dreamt of a stairway to heaven long before Led Zeppelin ever sang of it. And he, he dreamt, that was kind of funny, guys. Just give me the polite laugh. He, he dreamt of angels ascending the stairway into heaven and, and descending down to earth. He, he dreamt of God standing at the top of the stairs. And he's renewing his promise that he first made to Abraham, Jacob's grandfather. A, a promise of his presence with his people wherever they would go. And a promise of his blessing over his people. Saying to him, behold, I am, I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his dream, I love what he says. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. How awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Now, what we know to be true is God is omnipresent. There is no place outside of his presence. No matter where you go, God is there. But in spite of that, what we also know to be true is that God manifested his presence in that place in a special way, didn't he? Just as he did in the tabernacle, just as he did in Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. And what Jesus is now saying here is that God had no longer manifested his presence in a special way, in a special place, but in a special person, in Jesus, in himself, in Emmanuel, which means God with us, God dwelling among us. And what Nathaniel realized in that moment, like Jacob when he awoke from his dream, is that surely the Lord is in this person, this person of Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, and I didn't know it. How awesome is Jesus, the word of God incarnate, the son of man come down from the clouds of heaven, just as Daniel dreamed in Daniel 7, creating a, a gateway between heaven and earth, reconnecting God to man. And that is why we answer the call to follow Jesus, because he is the only way back to the Father. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Maybe you're still hung up on that bit about the world not seeing you or valuing you. What I need you to know is that Jesus sees you. He sees you wherever you are, whoever you are. No matter how far you've strayed, no matter how long you've been away, he sees you and he is calling to you, follow me. We simply need to quiet the noise so that we can hear the voice of the good shepherd calling out to us. The good shepherd who leaves the 99 in search of the one, in search of you when you're lost. Calling out to you, knowing everything about you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, he knows it all. Saying, I came to you to save you, to rescue you, not because I had to, but because I love you. And he's saying, so turn to me, trust in me, Come to me, follow me, because in me and through me, I will lead you to where you want to go. I will lead you, a beloved child, 
back to your father, back to your Abba. I will meet every desire you have to be seen and known and loved. So follow me. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.